Weekend Variety Wireless. Hi all, and a special hello if you've downloaded the podcast, the downloadable hour by hour. Also, we've got a bit of a new thing on the webpage. Uh, if you go there, it'll see if you missed Sunday or if you missed Saturday, and pretty much all of the things that have been on the program on those both those nights will be there for you to uh, re-listen to at your leisure. So if there's something you missed from last night or even tonight or even previous weeks, you can just go there and listen at your pleasure. Keeping in theme with running towards November the 11th, the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I, uh, we are playing uh, outsider tales from Jared Hindmarsh that involve World War I themes. Tonight, after 11 o'clock, a weirdo. You've got to say, a weirdo. Uh, his name's Starkey. Starkey, the nickname. Uh, mad, insane, or outrageously brave? A New Zealander on the Western Front in World War One, And what he got up to is... Well, it's outrageous. So is John Divig. He's up next and his letter from America. All things American politics and more besides. And later this hour, of course, read me a poem. Bill Doreen, our guest this evening. Uh, weekend Variety Wireless. Okay, what? US is the least qualified guy. <laughs> but look what they are doing Oi. today. Yet, this guy is telling us it's better for you as to shut up. All right, That's John. my man, my man. John DeVig's letter from America to America, somewhere around America. Hello, John. Damn, how you doing? You good? Yep, good. Excellent. Yep. Um, first up, the topic, uh, football stadiums in America. Yeah, we'll just talk a little bit about that before we get to the Trump bullshit. Yeah. There's so much of it. God, it's overloaded. Really? It's overloaded poop control out of this guy's mouth. Never, never, really, potty, this week. Potty mouth, potty mouth. Has something yep. changed? No, no, but it's exasperated. But I just wanted to mention on football stadiums, you know, every Saturday there's just thousands of football games across America, American football, and at university level. And then on Sunday we get the pro level. But at the university level, it's just massive. I mean, there are huge stadiums everywhere. And I just happened to look uh, at Michigan. I follow Michigan football. It's in Ann Arbor, Michigan, small mm -hmm. town in the middle of Michigan. But the football stadium holds 105,000. And it's a sellout every Saturday. Good it's a God. sellout. And I just happened to notice online. And that's not the top tier. No, that's the university. That's the college football. These guys get no money. They don't get paid. They're going to school. They get a scholarship, they though, get don't a, they? They get a scholarship. Yeah. They get their education paid for. But I just happened to notice they said they had 600 tickets at the extremely low price of $138 a piece. No. So you just do the math. That's their low ticket. <laughs> What are they selling the other tickets for? There's over 100,000 people there. That's a, that's a boatload of money. 
That is massive. Yeah, and that's just one stadium. And look at our rugby union. They <laughs> they gave away the tickets to get a crowd yeah, there. Yeah, I saw that. Good Couldn't on you believe it. <laughs> yeah, they should have they should have made it a gold coin donation to a charity or something. That would have been. You'd that think so. That, that something like that would have been smarter, kind and nice, free if you want, but throw us a coin. For yeah. Something <laughs> for some amateur rugby player's retirement that got precisely nothing, nothing that they're trading on the history of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, dark times, dark times, dark clouds, dark yeah. horizons. Now, let's look at this. We had this guy send out 14 bombs, mm -hmm. and he sent them all to Democrats. He sent them all to people that Trump repeatedly targets. And you got to look at it from a broader perspective. It's a cult to start with. No matter what the, the Trump, how many lies he says, Trump supporters so we don't care. We like the lies. So he's lying and lying and lying and stirring his people up. For the last two weeks, he's been talking about this caravan of people from Honduras, about a little under 17,000. He lied about that naturally this week. He said there's over 17,000. It's under 7,000, and then half of them are kids. And they're coming from Honduras, they're crossing Mexico, they're going to hit the border in the southwest and up seek asylum. That's mm -hmm. what they do. And we've had this happen tons of times. This is nothing new. This happens all the time, and we deal with it. It's laborious and all that kind of stuff, but we deal with it. Now, Trump, because he's such an asshole and such a hatred person, he has been talking like this as being an invading army the whole time. He's, he doesn't call them immigrants anymore he calls them invaders and he's sending 800 troops to the border uh -huh. to do what i mean it's it's just pathetic so to it, stop them just marching through because you're not allowed you're not allowed they got all kinds of rules so they're going to go there and stand but there are a lot of them so i can see why you might want to see no send bullshit just bullshit why? we've never done that before ever we handle this kind of stuff all the time but even if you got you know two or three thousand all at one spot no it, it doesn't matter well, you we don't handle send it, it. Anyone we to we handle have it? never sent the goddamn army there this is bullshit this is him stirring up the rhetoric of trying to fear monger and hatred amongst the immigrants that are trying to get into America. That's all it is. That's all it is. And he's stirring the pot, stirring the pot. It's not an invasion. It's a caravan of people that we've seen this tons of times. How do they all get together? They all, they, they travel through Mexico together because no, it's so dangerous. Yeah, but Mexico's that a big I don't place. Know. How do they all make it to one spot and march in unison? That, that I don't know. They Me got, either. That's yeah. a really weird thing, isn't it? Yeah, well, I suppose it is, but it's also a safety issue for them because it's so dangerous coming across. And these are families, and they're making a bold statement that we're coming across. But how do they know where group. to meet? Well, they, you know, maybe some guy puts out a flyer in, in Honduras. I don't know. You know, and let's all go. You know, all at once. This all is what we're going to. This is we're going to do. This. I'm sure they have people that organize this stuff on the ground. Mexico offered them asylum. They did. And benefits. Yeah. And health care. They've and been very good to all them. sorts of stuff. They've been stuff. very good to them. And they're saying no. Yeah. They want to go to the states. They want to seek a asylum. place that hates immigrants. Yeah. Well, right now Trump and his asshole followers. But they still want to go there. They still want to go there. Phenomenal, isn't it? I mean, I'm really quite a awed. bit weird. I'm quite odd that that... I mean, this is really this, generous from the Mexicans. This is, oh, it totally is, you know. But Trump is stirring this hatred, stirring this hatred. Then we have this guy... But these questions, should, I would like them asked, uh, answered. Oh, why, why don't we get good answers on how come they're all together all in the same place? Well, I suppose somebody time. knows. I mean, you know, uh, somebody knows on the other end. Can somebody tell me? Yeah, that's a, right. good, that's a good question. Okay, thanks. But Trump is stirring this hatred. 
Then you have this jerk-off guy who killed 11 Jews at a synagogue. Oh, and in his, in, his, in his Twitter account and all that bullshit, he said that the Jews were helping the migrants, the caravan. All right. So, you know, he's listening to Trump and all this bullshit. So it's part of the Soros conspiracy sort part of thing. Part of the Soros. You know, Soros, he's a, a billionaire Democratic contributor, and Trump is storing this every day says that Soros is paying these people, which is total bullshit. Soros is not paying anybody. It's just crap. So this guy goes out and shoots. I mean, I'm not saying he is, but can you prove he's not? I'm sure they can. Yeah, okay. I'm sure they can. He's got, they got receipts for all this stuff, and they follow this stuff. They follow the money completely. The Soros thing's beyond me. It, it yeah. does sound conspiratorial. Well, totally. So he's stirring all this crap. Then you have him every day attacking the Democrats. It's us versus them. Us. Well, who else is he going to attack? He's a Republican. No, 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 no. Nobody's ever said this before. Nobody has ever called the Democrats an evil mob. An evil mob. You keep calling them an evil mob. They're going to take over everything. They're going to take away your second Sorry. amendment. John, sorry, an evil, no, no, sorry, John, you've just painted yourself into a corner. Yeah. Hillary Clinton, deplorable, no irredeemable, okay, xenophobic, no, Islamophobic. No, no, bullshit. She said deplorable. Deplorable. She didn't say anything else. That's all bullshit you added to it. No. She didn't say it's that. It's a speech. In one speech. This guy says this every day, and I didn't paint myself in any goddamn corner. He attacks... He attacks everybody. He calls Hillary crooked Hillary. Yeah. He calls uh, Maxine Waters a senator, low IQ. He has nicknames for everybody. And he's, Pocahontas. And he's t Pocahontas. And he's talking to a cult. He's talking to a fanatic cult. Then you got this guy in Florida who says, yeah, I'm going to act on this. I'm going to send out 14 bombs. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. And it's his goddamn rhetoric. He is, his platform, and you can't argue this, is fear loathing, lies, hatred. That is his goddamn platform. And he's been on the camp pay trail because in a week we got midterms, and every day he's out there lying his ass off, lying his ass off, stirring up shit. And nobody has ever done that on the other side to the extent that this asshole has done that. Not he, even close. He's quite special. Not even close. He's in a category by himself. And that's why it happened. He lied about the van. He said, oh, I didn't see my picture on the van, the van that this guy drove around. Oh it's God. all over the goddamn van. Yeah. Then they asked him, They asked him, his supporters at a rally in North Carolina, well, what about the bombs? Oh, I think they sent them to themselves. I think that's what they did. And then some other stupid moron said, oh, I heard it was something about he was trying to get in coots with Bernie Sanders. And you go, you can't be that stupid. You cannot be that stupid. But they are. They're a cult. They don't give a shit. It's one-third of the country versus two-thirds. He's a divider. He's a hater. He's not a leader. He's the antithesis but what of are you being a leader. With that Hopefully, third. we'll vote the, both the asshole out. That's but what, what about hope. the third that isn't going to vote for Screw them. They can go the to Mexico. Democrats. Go across the border the other way. Piss off. Nah. No, no, I've had it with these people. These people are assholes. Because they don't care. It's a third of your they country. know that he lies, and they accept it. They say, "Yeah, it's good." That's they don't good. Mind, they don't mind the lies because they they like a guy who talks not like a politician. Like I don't care. Like a a, a booze. It doesn't matter. Kind he, of. He's he's, guy at the he's pub. splitting up America. You're not supposed to do that as president. He's got the biggest mic in the country. People listen to this asshole. I don't know why. I don't know why anybody would listen to him. I don't listen to him. Mm. Now. Cuomo's the mayor of New York. Yep. I heard him on CNN, 
and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. People call Here we go. People call this domestic terrorism. I think we need a new word. Terrorism we normally equate with a tension between this nation and another nation. Even domestic terrorism is normally referred to as a lone wolf operating within this country, but in the interest of a foreign country. That's not what this is. This is political terrorism. This is American terrorism. This is red versus blue terrorism. And that we have never seen before. I don't know where he was coming from or how that could pass no, muster. No. There has been so there have been so many occasions of domestic terrorism and red versus blue terrorism. Yeah. Well, but nothing to do with people representing a foreign country whatsoever. No. You could mention Oklahoma, Timothy McVeigh. Yep. You could mention um, Sandy Hook. Uh, yep. You could Columbine, uh, political the assassination of. Abraham Lincoln. Well, I'll I, tell you, I think I'll that tell you, that's kind of well known. Yeah, and well known in the fact that when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, they had three or four other guys on the list: the Secretary of State, the Vice yeah. President. There were other people, and they did big damage there. And, that guy's they, face was never the same. Yeah, they tried to they tried to uh, assassinate a lot in that particular thing. There was Lincoln, that Bernie Lincoln, Sanders fan that shot, shot a Republican. Shot Scalise. Yeah. You shot Scalise. But Cuomo. See, what yeah, about that? Yeah, but you're talking one. Yeah, you're talking one. This is 14 bombs, 14 against one Democratic Party, 14, 14 bombs. If, they, if the guy was The Unabomber. Now, now, the Unabomber was against airlines and universities. Yeah, that yeah, got nothing to yeah. do oh, with oh, that. Oh, okay, but the Sanders... Doesn't the, matter. The, this San, is, the Sanders... This, look, this the was Sanders against 14. 14. Yeah. Now, stop it. Two presidents, two past presidents, but senators. What? The guy shot the Republican yeah, guy. Yeah, he did. This is, he did. You can't just say that's a well, nothing. You, well, it's not a nothing. Cuomo, you're wrong. But it's not anywhere near. You've got to be with me. Cuomo, you're wrong. I believe he's wrong on that. I will, I will argue with that. With All you. right. But, but, but this is the, the largest assassination attempt in the history of the United States of a political nature. That's what this is. And if the guy was successful, I mean, come on. It's ridiculous. And to say that Trump is not responsible with his asshole rhetoric, his divisive rhetoric, his fear and loathing, every time he goes on a campaign trail, he lies, lies. He lies. It's unbelievable. Yeah, we know he lies. But yeah, but he's stirring the pot, and this is a consequence of it. Okay. China is listening. Oh, God. Now, this is just ridiculous, folks. You know, I mean, Trump before on the campaign trail was talking about Hillary Clinton emails, you know, because she had her personal email was server. That, was that a Freudian blowjob um, slip? Blowjob? You, <laughs> you said Hillary Hill Clinton. Oh, did I? Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, I'm, you know, I'm coming down. I'm, I'm falling down. Start it again. We'll from, edit it in. From a high. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bullshit. I don't mind that. Uh, you know, I make up words all the time. Good one. You know, but... You know, he was talking about her emails all the time. The server, she didn't have any national security. You couldn't trust her. Mm. The Republicans were going nuts. They're jumping up and down. It's all woo, 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 woo. Now, Trump uses a personal iPhone. He uses a personal iPhone to talk about government business all the friggin' time. And guess who's listening? China spies are listening. Russia spies are listening. They're listening to who he's talking to, what he's talking about, and who he's, list and who he's talking to. And then they're going off and listening to the people that he's talking to to find out if they can have some kind of benefit from that in their trade talks, their tariffs, or spy, whatever they're doing. And Trump tweets that he doesn't very rarely use a cell phone, and he tweets it on his goddamn iPhone. <laughs> the guy can't be any stupider than that.
And yet the Republicans say nothing. Yeah, yeah. The hypocrisy here is astounding. And this is black and white, you know, folks. Actually, that, that's where I'm with you. The Republicans should know better than this. It's a unique president. There hasn't been one like him before. No. Um, and the... It's Repub a fake president. The it's Republicans don't know... Oh, oh, we're supposed, to, we don't, we're supposed to support him. Oh, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. Oh, yeah, come yeah, on. Yeah. You know, and the other thing about the bombing thing. You know, Trump, instead of... <laughs> You know, instead of saying something like trying to unify the country, he goes, well, you know, it's the media's fault. They print all these bad stories about me. They treat me so unfairly. He's mm. such a self-pity jackass. It's unbelievable. Mm. Um, I think if you do have a look like CNN, MSNBC, and the, the, the number of negative Trump stories, sure, sure. Uh, far, out, far outweigh anything positive. They, but then again, but Trump they, isn't helping. No, he's not helping. And they fall over backwards to try and be even at certain times. Mm. Not like Fox News. I mean, Fox News, the whole conspiracy thing was that the left, that the Democrats did this to themselves to yeah. get some sympathy. And even after it's been proven, I mean, they got, you got DNA, you got fingerprints, you got the bomb making in the van, yeah. you got the whole package, the whole nine yards, the whole enchilada, folks, and assholes like Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity and oh. Ann Coulter. It's still a conspiracy. It's still somebody else doing it. It's not It's not Trump, people. I think the van speaks a lot, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's got, it's got Trump and Pence, and, you know, Trump is forever. Targets is, on Hillary. Targets on the Democrats, yeah. Holder, uh, <laughs> the it, whole lot. It pretty well kind of like... Here's my plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's yeah. my plan. This is the whole thing written yeah. on my freaking van. <laughs> Yeah. He's, he's not very good at subterfuge. Nah. Oh, mercy. Oh. Well, plus he left a fingerprint. Ooh, I mean, yeah, how yeah. dumb is that? Yeah. Um, one shouldn't attack the man, attack the argument, right? Yeah. But I'm leaving that out for right now. I, <laughs> I, I tuned in a Fox the other day yeah. for the first time in a while. Yeah. How did Hannity get that fat? He's fat. He's getting really fat really, yeah. really quickly. Yeah. It's all power gone to his head. He sits around and just eats and talks to Trump. He's, That's all he does. He's mid-expansion. I don't know where it's going to end, yeah. but it's Blimpville coming. Oh, yeah. Oh, you totally. can see it coming, can't yeah. you? Yeah. He's a big guy anyway. Yeah. He's a big. He's a large bone guy. Oh, is he? Yeah. He's never looked. All uh, right. He's pretty big. He's anyway. Pretty big. <laughs> Hannity, you're getting fat. Uh, okay. Scott Brown. Okay, this is our ambassador, the American ambassador. To, oh, in to, Wellington. In Wellington. And he came out with a with an article uh, this week, and he said, you know, the problem, the problem with the New Zealand media is that they don't tell the full story about Trump. They don't they don't get the grasp, the full story. So, Mr. Ambassador, I'm going to help your ass out right here, right now. See the full story. This is all you need to know about this guy. He's a pathological liar, liar. He's the president of the United States, and he lies every day. This week alone, he told 170 lies. That's your president, Mr. Ambassador, the guy that's supposed to be leading America and the free world, standing at a podium and lying through his teeth over 170 times this week. That's the guy that you support. I'm going to give you one example of a lie that is just takes the cake. This is the piece de resistance this week of Trump's lies. He told everybody more than once that they, oh, they've been working on this 10% middle income class tax bill. They've been working hard on it, and they're going to pass it by November 1st before the midterms. 
You know what, Mr. President, Mr. Ambassador? I can see you right now scratching your head going, oh, you know, and I'm scratching my head. And Trump probably doesn't even know it. Uh, it's just a lie to him, something he made up. But you know as well as I know, Congress is not in session. Congress is home. They're out on the campaign trail. Nobody's working on a bill. Nobody's going to pass a bill because it's a figment of Trump's imagination. And he's lying through his teeth to try and gather votes and stir people up and stir shit up. And the bad thing, the, the atrocious thing, the pathetic thing is the entire Republican Party and you, sir, support this utter bullshit. Shame on you. A thing about this caravan, so-called caravan, yep. thousands and thousands of people all at once. Yeah, about six and a half thousand people there. That's a lot. All in one spot, uh, yep. marching seemingly in unison according yep. to the, the, the pictures that we get. Yeah. Um, it's timed almost for the elections. Oh, they, I don't think they'll get to the border by election time, will they? No, no, no. There's some place in the middle of Mexico. They've still got 500 miles or so or whatever. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah. You know, so, it, I, it, I can it, see so, that their numbers are atrophying somewhat. They, yeah, they're dropping off. Yeah, they're because, dropping off. You know, it's really kind of weird. Guatemala has come to the camps and offered bus rides for people that are, you know, tired or sick or whatever, yeah. and they're busting them back. So yeah. they've walked over a thousand miles, yeah. and then they're getting on buses and going back. So it, you're right; it has fallen off. It has yeah. an increase. But the thing is, this idea that it's conspiracy paid for by some Democrats—it's just—is the opposite of the effect. Let's say they arrived at the southern border of the United States yeah. for the midterm elections. Well, yeah, that's only going to make people who are wavering vote for a Republican to be tougher on immigration, isn't oh, it? Totally, yeah. No, this this has fallen right into Trump's hands. As I said before, you know, he's it's calling... It's like a Christmas present for the Republicans. Oh, totally. He's called them uh, invaders, illegal invaders. That's why he's sending the army there. He's really, you know, I mean, there was a woman that said, oh, you know, I think these people, you know, they may come up... She's in Minnesota. And she's going, oh, man, you know, we got a lot of cabins up here that people don't use during the winter. So these people could probably get in there and oh, get, yeah, get into yeah, the yeah, cabins. Yeah, yeah, that really is exploiting fear. You know, yeah, exactly. Unreasonable Exploi fear. Ex exploiting fear. Yeah. And it's, it's a great... You know, they don't, you know, Trump doesn't talk about the tax bill that he passed. He passed a tax bill, yeah. which he says is the greatest tax bill ever, and it's not. But he taxed that. He passed that tax bill. He never talks about it because the American public know that it went to the top 1% of the wealthy and all the corporations, and it's going to add a trillion and a half dollars to the budget, which is already exploding under Trump and the Republicans. They don't talk about that. And the most ridiculous thing, you want to talk about ass, asinine, backwards bullshit, the Republicans voted 70 times to repeal Obamacare. Now they're on the campaign trail saying they want to protect pre-existing conditions. They've tried everything they could do to get rid of pre-existing conditions because they want to protect the insurance companies. And now, because they got nothing else to run on, they're all like the guy from Wisconsin. The governor from Wisconsin is saying on TV, I saw the ad, I will protect your pre-existing conditions. His state is suing the government to get rid of pre-existing conditions. It's unbelievable how these guys just lie through their teeth. That's on you, Mr. Ambassador. Your Republican cohorts are all bullshit. After the break, yeah. um, we'll be uh, entertaining 
Bill Doreen, a tremendous New Zealand artist, musician, oh, okay. literary figure. It's a thing called Read Me a Poem. And uh, he uses one piece of strong language. And this is just by way of a warning because it's coming up next and it's pre-recorded. I don't use strong language. No, you, no. I get excited. Well, you do get excited. Um, it's, it's debatable, but I don't want to stop your flow tonight, John. Yeah. Um, it's the F word. Oh, I don't use that. Uh, I refrain now, from that. It's, he's reading a poem in which the F word turns up. In the poem. I it's agree. in the poem. I think it's more of a crime to, to uh, censor a poem, yeah. a work of art, yeah. uh, than hearing the F word on the radio. Yeah. Well, so a, please, a... um, th here's your warning. Don't listen yeah. if, if you're upset about that. But yeah. that was my decision. Yeah. To, uh, I think that's I've a good got one. to include it. I, I think it's a good one. I was taking an acting class once and the, the script had the C word in it. Yeah. And the uh, female teacher said, you can't say that word. You have to use a different word. And I went, well, it's kind of like what he was writing about. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the essence you of... Don't do the show if you, if you can't take the art. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. No, my, the my thesis is words are all that poems have got. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty fun to online. Don't mark with them. <laughs> okay, there's your warning. Don't come crying to me. John DeVig, thank you very much. Thanks, Greg. Curiosity not only killed the cat, it spawned a whole radio show. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. Evocative piece of music that was kind of like the theme motif you could say throughout a documentary called The Memory of Others. It was came out last year uh, about the life and works of Bill Doreen. Bill Doreen, I think probably about 50% literary and 50% music, and I don't know how much of an intersection of fans of either uh, know about the other so much. Bill Doreen, a good target, I think, to read us a poem. Bill Doreen. Thanks for being part of this. Good, nice to be here, Graham. Okay, music versus uh, literature for you. You've been imbued in both, really, haven't you? Yeah, that's true, yeah. Uh, mainly in terms of theatre, really. Um, but I do write quite a lot and uh, tend to publish it in some form or other. Um, if you saw my notebooks, because uh, I write by hand, um, you, you would understand why I feel it's quite a good idea to get them printed out and um, archived in some other way. Then there's always the possibility of a fire. <coughs> Shouldn't probably even mention the word. Strikes terror into the hearts of writers and musicians. <laughs> yeah. When were you first introduced to poetry where it kind of stuck and made an effect on you? Well, I don't know, really. I mean, poetry is everywhere anyway. These days, people use poetry just <laughs> to say it's a beautiful day. It's, it's, so, it's like poetry. I think um, probably it begins with all of us when our mothers or fathers or brothers or f the figures who are looking after us sing to us and speak to us in that particular way. 
it's a very emotional thing tied in that's even deeper and that goes further than language itself. But then later on, I suppose, there were songs in the house. We used to go to church and there was, uh, there was singing there and, uh, of course, the prayers were repeated. I think that's wherever cadences have been very carefully thought about and where you hear them repeatedly so that they impregnate themselves into your memory, I think there you've got poetry. When did you start writing poetry? Quite early on, probably, I think I was about eight when I started to write an epic about the life of a raindrop, which was an iambic pentameter that was going, you know, falling from the sky and into the rivers and down to the ocean and then back up to the sky. And I didn't get very far with it, but that was my first ambition. You've been involved in music for many, many years and still going strong. We're going to hear a tune, actually, shortly, one that I think's um, a real charmer. Lyrics versus poetry. How do you see the difference between them? Well, I think um, poetry probably should stand up on the page all by itself. These days, poetry is becoming more and more a silent thing. It's something that each reader reads with his or her own inner voice or with projected voices, perhaps theatrical voices, that he or she is conjuring up as as they read the, the poem. But, I mean, poetry and song didn't used to be so separate, you know, as you know. I mean, that's kind of where I am, really. I'm, I, I situate poetry in there with the delivery. I, I do think that the, the words need to be, need to have been carefully worked out and sometimes they take years to achieve and sometimes I might present them perhaps when, when I wish I hadn't. Uh, you know, perhaps the song isn't quite finished, but I do think there has to be that degree of craftsmanship and honing of the language so that it says the best possible way something that perhaps everybody has felt but that perhaps you've come up with a way of saying it that no one else has come up with yet in the history of mankind. There's no law against having another go at a poem, though. No, dead right. Why don't people do that? Yeah, well, I, I do it. <laughs> it. It's taken me many years to write some lyrics, and I have published different versions of them. I do think that's a, a very valid point. One of the poems I was thinking of reading to you uh, today is by Francois Villon. Now, uh, Francois Villon, a French poet, nothing was heard from him after he was pardoned, after he was going to be executed, actually. No one knows when he died. And the, and the poem that some people say he wrote when he was about to be executed, he was pardoned, wasn't published for another 25 years. And, you know, it's such a beautifully crafted poem that something tells me that he probably worked on that for another 20 years after the initial shock of uh, thinking he was going to be walking down death row the next morning. Why don't we take the opportunity? You've teased us... All right. Go on. It's called The Ballad right. of the Hanged. It is. I'll read it in English, of course. This is just a translation that I've put together. It's probably one of the most famous French poems of all time. It's the dead who are speaking. So this was written after the Hundred Years' War and there were plagues and, you know, death was pretty present. But he puts these words into the mouths of three criminals who've been hanged by the roadside as an example to people. Brothers and sisters still walking the earth. Against us, don't harden your hearts. If you afford us what any man is worth, justice may one day take your part. Take a good look at us, wired on the heights, wasted our flesh that we fattened in life, sliced through by birds, us who lived by the knife, 
stocks to be spat at without tribute or trust. Traveller pass by, we are less than dust, and pray to God we'll all be forgiven. The rain rinsed our carcasses under the skies, and the sun baked us black from our heads to our toes. Magpies and ravens have pecked out our eyes and plucked our lashes and beards and the hairs down below, and never, not once, have we been left to rest. Now here, now there, at the breeze's behest, lacerated by hail, futile to request mercy from the skies, from the storms, from the birds. Travellers, pass by, we are less than these words, that pray to God we'll all be forgiven. So when was that written? The impulse for the poem was his condemnation to be executed in 1461, but it wasn't published until 1489, which is uh, some years after he's presumed to have died. Uh, we don't know exactly when he died. Good heavens. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing poem. Yeah, it's got some impact, all right. Interestingly, though, you know, our own uh, James K. Baxter was very interested in Villon as well. He mentions him in the Autumn Testament, mainly interested because Baxter was a bit of a religious uh, adherent. I almost said nutcase, if you'd watch I say. <laughs> but he, uh, and in those days, of course, you know, everybody believed, you know, in some way, and, uh, you know, in God and so on. So there was a connection there, and yet Eon lived the life of pretty, he was a pretty wild and uh, reckless sort of loser type guy. So I think uh, James K. Baxter identified with him in quite a big way. Well, look, we can make the rules here. Your other option was a James K. Baxter piece? Yeah, if you're up for that, Graham, yeah. Um, um, well, this one's Pigeon Park, the Pigeon Park song of James K. Baxter. Why is it good? Why is it good? Well, he is telling his own truth, but he's doing it in an artisanal kind of way, I think, using another voice, another character to say something that he feels need to be said. I get the feeling he wrote it fairly quickly, this one. He hasn't put the same sort of craftsmanship into the rhymes as he often did, but the rhythm is very compelling, and it's in these four-line stanzas that just sort of seem to have their own torrent, their own flow to them. I think it's a, a, a lovely success, and it ends brilliantly. So here's the Pigeon Park song. I lay down on the grass in Pigeon Park, and fell like a stone into the space between the stars, and woke with one of the fuzz shaking me by the shoulder. Get up, he said. You can't snore off here. I went down the street with 12 cents in my pocket, not enough for a cup of coffee, and the windows were loaded with chicken and steak like the bodies at Belson piled up together. You can come in and buy, the shop sign said. But if you've got no money, you might as well be dead. I went to my girlfriend's house, but she had shifted, and the girl in the kitchen told me she didn't know in what direction. I didn't need a fuck, man. I only needed somebody to sit beside. I carried my carcass down to the harbour and looked at the water full of oil and turds. I got drunk and smashed a plate glass window. And when the fuzz came, I planted one of them. And two of their heavies worked me over in the cells. The magistrate said, This kind of behaviour can't go on. 
He lumbered me with six months in Mount Crawford. Babylon, you who sit on the waters in your market, a man costs less than a dollar. I will play my guitar the day they burn you down. That's a nice piece of defiant talk. It is, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yes. Uh, I must say I have a big soft spot for people who are brave enough to stand up and uh, criticise what they see as something less than desirable about society. <laughs> and he inherited a bit of that directly from his father, Archibald Baxter, one of those that yes, said, right. no, I'm not going to fight. Exactly right. And that's something that we do touch on in this theatre show that we're doing next week. Um, just get a plug in for that. <laughs> Tell us about this because this is happening on that auspicious date, uh, November the 11th, Armistice, 100 years ago. Uh, it's exactly. called a hospital pass. What's the deal? Well, it's a, it's a bit of a mixture. There are individual songs that are related to the First World War. Along with those six or seven songs, there are five improvisations, and each improvisation is performed by the Armistice Orchestra, which is led by a former Braille group uh, musician, Stuart Porter, who's here in Dunedin. And I'm also playing in the improvisation orchestra. So I do the songs, and then the, the orchestra or the ensemble does these improvisations. Um, and sometimes I throw in some spoken word, like uh, there's a poem by Catherine Mansfield, which she wrote after the death of her brother. Uh, her brother Leslie died in, a, in an accident uh, in the First World War, um, a grenade ac accident. But another part of this uh, evening will be a song cycle that, that I, I co-wrote with Alan Brunton, who died in 2002. Uh, he was a member of the uh, Red Mole um, theatre group, of course. He and I put together this song cycle based on the life of uh, Michael Joseph Savage. So um, we're sort of tapping in to the enthusiasm, almost religious fervour of, um, of the first Labour government and the changes that they made to society. I tell you, there's going to be about eight of us on stage, so um, fortunately we're playing in the very capacious New Athenaeum Theatre, which is just in the octagon in Dunedin, and there's plenty of room for us and plenty of room for everybody. It's actually a little tour. It's an armistice tour. We do the 9th and 10th in Dunedin. On Armistice Day itself, we perform in Omaru. That has uh, sort of particular significance for me because part of the whole story, First World War and the slump years of Michael Joseph Savage were the years when my grandfather was alive. Uh, he, uh, he was four years on the Western Front and he found himself out of work in the 30s. So that's what, if you like, that's the thread that passes through this. And he was born in Omaru. Um, so uh, it's a nice place for us to end. It's a fairly epic season all around the country uh, throughout 2018. I just want to discuss a little bit about lyrics versus poetry. One that seems like a bit of an intersection set, actually, from you. The photographer and the oceanographer. This is from the Chrysanthemum CD. And yep. it's kind of spoken wordy-y. So it is a bit poetry, a, a, a bit music as well. I love the tune. But I don't know what it's about. Can you explain it to me? Sure. Yeah, the photographer and the oceanographer. The, the photographer in question was actually a person I was visiting who lived at that time in a kind of chateau in the middle of Dunedin, actually. It's a bit like, you know, doors opening upon doors and portiles. And when I visited him, I heard two or three doors unlocking as he came to me. And inside, he 
I believe he still has little studios with photographic equipment in some of them and in another he actually has an analogue recording studio using equipment from the 1970s. It's a real labyrinth, uh, a real sort of fantasy land um, of saved equipment and living creativity. The song itself, after that, after the real fact that I did once visit this guy, his name is Nigel Bunn, then all the rest is really uh, imagined. It's a story that I'm about to leave the country. I come to say goodbye to my friends. We have a cup of tea. It's the end of my evening and the beginning of theirs because the photographer and his girlfriend, the oceanographer, get up at dusk and stay awake all night working on their creative projects. And at the end, we hug each other and I'm, and I'm off, who knows for how long, from New Zealand. Yeah, this one is a story song about a photographer and an oceanographer. Photographer and the oceanographer were sleeping the evening I know. He found his leaves, the sound of keys as door after door unlocked. He was unfocused, she was in a hooker's pocket. My reason would set in the moment before I could say be going away. He said, don't tell me, the president's been shot. She, in 1963, me, president of what? They could see from my eyes, my spirits were not high, so they brewed up the pot. The storm hardly warm, but the brew was a burger, not did no harm, it brought some calm, thankful I drank the lot, but my star was declining and theirs was arriving, and we'd exhausted the subjects of Walt Disney and Scott, we hugged with some tears, or I'd be gone for some years. And into the night and it dropped. The president's been shot. How does that relate? Uh, because of the expression on my face, they can see from my eyes that my spirits were not high. There's another line in the song. So I'm going there a little bit bedraggled and very sorry, really, to be leaving with my message that I'm, I'm going away and we might never see each other again. So when he sees my face, he says, don't tell me some president's been shot. <laughs> Why the long face? Oh, well, uh, I never particularly enjoyed leaving New Zealand. Uh, there was a time in my life, you know, they say travel develops the young, so I'm much, much less inclined to travel now. But there was a time when I was in my late 30s when I, it was incumbent upon me to leave New Zealand. And I, I didn't ever really particularly enjoy leaving. I always felt there was a job here that I uh, hadn't finished. Um, how's that for a reply? Very good.
we've been speaking with Bill Doreen and he's read us a poem or two. Thanks for doing this, Bill Doreen. And thanks for letting me give a little plug for our show next week. Oh, it's rather apt. Yeah. Bill Doreen, thanks very much. Okay, bye-bye. Is this, um... Steve Braunius uh, this evening, um, he couldn't make it. He fell asleep on the bus and woke up in Papakura. Uh, it's nowhere near where we are. It took some while for him to get there, but he had a good nap. Uh, didn't have the money to get back, but he has made it back home and has promised to uh, be our guest for next Sunday for the edition of Read Me a Poem. And it's a bit of a bonus having Steve Braunius great writer um he's got a new book he's got something kind of special and it's just a complete coincidence really that it seems to be kind of like what we're doing with read me a poem just plain folk with an interest in poetry um and their poems and why they like them he'll explain as best he can and i'm sure that will be eloquently uh, next weekend, Steve Braunius should be our guest, although I promised three weeks in a row now, haven't I? Oh, well, whatever. Uh, it'll be him or Sam Hunt. Tim Finn's up for it. That's good, isn't it? And I think, uh, yeah, Andrew Fagan as well. These are obvious. And I'm trying to lasso former poet laureate Michelle Leggett as well. OK, it's news time, 11 o'clock. And after that, we have... An outsider tale with the World War I theme. The crazy guy called Starkey. Insane or brave?